Hello friend, I'm John Carter. Welcome today to the Carter Report. Our topic is faith and science. We have with us today a great scientist, Dr. Fuzz Rana from that great organization in Southern California, Reasons to Believe. Welcome today to the Carter Report. I'm John Carter in Moscow, in Havana, Cuba. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, right here in communist China, reporting from India. Hi, I'm John Carter in the Solomon Islands. I'm John Carter in Soweto, from El Salvador. I'm John Carter in Sydney, Australia. John Carter brings together faith and science. Welcome back. We're glad to have you with us today. Uh, Dr. Rana, we're delighted to have you with us from Reasons to Believe. Well, thank you for having me. I have been tremendously inspired by the material that has come out of Reasons to Believe. Thank you. Uh, this tremendous stuff on the creation of the universe, the fine-tuning of the universe. You know, this is, this is heady, powerful stuff, isn't it? It is. Amazing stuff. Now, in the first segment, entitled Faith and Science, you told us about building tiny little computers that replicate the cell, yeah. the DNA. This is sort of incredible. I want you to tell, tell the audience about it again, please. Well, to me, this is one of the most mind-boggling things I've ever learned about. Boggle my mind. About, uh, about biochemistry, and that is that, that the, the machinery inside the cell that manipulates DNA, and DNA is, a, is a, a large molecule that contains the instructions that the cell needs to produce all of the, the protein machines that carry out its operations. And that inf instruction is in the form, or those instructions are in the form of digital information. And it turns out that those machines that manipulate DNA are literally functioning like computer systems. Mm. Uh, at their at mm. their very basic mode of, of operation, so much so that it's inspired a new area of nanotechnology called DNA computing, where scientists are building computers in the laboratory using DNA and the proteins that manipulate DNA. And these computers are in tiny little test tubes about this big, and they're more powerful than the most powerful supercomputer system. Say that again. They're more powerful than... Than the, than the most powerful supercomputer system that we've ever built. I, I find this uh, astounding. It, it, it is astounding. It's mm. mind-boggling. The, these tiny little things that replicate the tiny, tiny little cell, the DNA, they're more powerful than the most powerful computer system in the world. Yes. Yes. And this just happened with the cell. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, the, we, we know from experience that what it takes to build a computer system. Yeah. And it, uh, does it, doesn't it just happen by itself? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because Richard Dawkins says it all happened by the blind watchmaker. Well, and, and this is, to me, the power, I think, of, of the evidence that we see in biochemistry for a creator's existence. And that is the fact that, uh, again, our first inclination when you see a computer system is that there was a mind mm. that was responsible for conceiving it, designing it, and building it. And why would we conclude otherwise when we re realize that at the core of the cell's operations 
are these very elaborate, sophisticated computer systems. Amazing. Far more sophisticated than what we could ever build. I, I just want to say to the television audience, I want you to hear this because this is, this is totally mind-blowing. This is, this is astounding that inside the cell there are computers that are more powerful and complex than anything that exists in the world. Yes. And, and, and the cell is so small <laughs> that you've got to have a, a, a sophisticated microscope to see it. Yes, yes, that's right. You're a biochemist. Where did you do your degree, incidentally? Um, at uh, Ohio University. Yeah, which is a great university. Yes, I think so. And uh, then you went out and did what after that? Where did well, you work? Well, I, I um, did a couple of postdocs at the University of Virginia and University of Georgia, mm -hmm. and then uh, spent not quite a decade working in research and development for a Fortune 500 company, and mm. uh, from there went and joined the Reasons to Believe, which... I've been a part of now for which gives 20 years. reasons to believe. Yes, I mean yeah. the, the focus of our organization is to show how the latest discoveries in science provide evidence for God's existence and the reliability so, of Scripture. So you believe that faith and science can very happily coexist? Yes. In fact, uh, I think not only do, can they coexist, but I think scientific discoveries give us reasons to believe that the Christian faith is true. Absolutely. Yeah, and yes. so it's not a question of mm. achieving some kind of detente or truce, but it's really... It's the most reasonable conclusion. Yes, that, that's, that when you look at the scientific evidence, it, it just indicates that there is a design to the universe, a design to life, that to me only makes sense if you think about that design coming from the mind of a creator. Is it not true, and I've read a little bit about this and I've listened to great scientists like Hugh Ross and others, that the whole universe is fine-tuned for life. Yes. This is called the anthropic principle, is this right? That's right. And, and this again is a discovery that I think is on par with the discovery of DNA computers inside the cell. I mean, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Everything think that that the way the universe is constructed, the the fundamental constants and the parameters and the characteristics have to assume exacting values. One part in a trillion, 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 trillion. Yeah, I mean, the the level of of exactness is 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 almost incomprehensible. And if in any one of them deviates ever so slightly from those values, life wouldn't be possible in the universe. And this suggests that the universe is designed, but it also suggests that the universe is, has a purpose. It's fit for a purpose. Yes. And that purpose is the, the advent of humanity. Yes. Uh, and so the, it's, as Freeman Dyson once said, it's as if the universe had us in mind from the very beginning, you know, that there's something about the mm. universe that that is structured in a way that, that makes human life possible. Uh, I just want to say to the watching audience, I personally would find it very, very hard to be a rational atheist. I find it very hard to be a person who thinks rationally and believes that all of this, the fine-tuning of the universe, the construction of the cell, the, uh, the replication of the cell in these tiny, uh, of the DNA, in these super, super tiny computers. I, I find it hard to believe all of this could happen by, by itself. Yeah. Uh, by a blind watchmaker. Uh, me too. I mean, I, I think the, if you really are looking at the evidence objectively 
at minimum, it's rational to think a creator exists. But I think the, the evidence, really, if you're open-minded, compels you to think that a well, creator I, exists. I'm compelled. For people who've just tuned into the television program, tell me more about the cell. How big the cell is, what goes on inside the cell, how we're now trying to replicate the, uh, the computers that are working inside the cell. The way I, I like to think of the cell is that it's like a, a microscopic molecular scale city where, you know, the, the, the smallest bacterium is probably about a, a micron or so in size. That's about one millionth of a meter. Mm. And a large cell might be a, a couple hundred microns in yeah, size. it's huge. But the, the operations that are taking place in the cell yeah. are, are, are incredibly complex, incredibly mind-boggling you know, mind in terms of the complexity. But there's a, a sophistication and ingenuity, but it's all coordinated. It's all integrated and working so, seamlessly so, together, so, just so, like a, a well-run city. So tell me some of the functions and some of the operations inside the cell. Well, you know, an, another uh, biochemical system that intrigues me is the process of protein production. And it literally is like a, a well-run assembly line where... Inside the cell? Yeah, where you mm -hmm. have the, the set of instructions in the DNA molecule. And when it's time to make a particular protein, because the cell needs that operation that that protein carries out, that information is copied by an elaborate set of machines that, in effect, are a computer operation. And then that, that copy is, is escorted to a, a, a structure called a ribosome. It's like a protein assembly line that bit by bit assembles. And this actually happens? Yes. And you, it, can you see this? Uh, we know it happens from a whole host of biochemical evidence. So yes. the, the, the ribosome... Because it's so small. It's so small, you can't yeah. really see it now. Goodness. But you, you're inferring it from all the chemical data that you've collected in, in terms of how the cell operates. But literally, a protein is a, a chain of smaller molecules called amino acids that are linked together, and they're brought one amino acid at a time to the ribosome, and it's assembled in a precise, exacting manner... And throughout that whole process, there are all these quality control checkpoints that are making sure that this process happens without any error or without any <laughs> mistake. It's, it's all exquisitely, exquisitely yeah. optimized. Well, to a reasonable mind, this would be evidence for a designer. Yes. Is this a rational statement? It is. And, and to me, the, this brings to mind the old watchmaker argument of William Paley. That yeah. You know, that if you see a watch, this was mm -hmm. Paley's argument on yes. the side yeah. of the road, you would conclude that there was a mind that made it because that watch has certain properties that reflect w what human beings do when we design things. And the same properties are found in every biochemical system, uh, that, that those same properties, we, you know, and so it revitalizes that, that old watchmaker argument. All right then, Doctor. Uh, you came up in a, brought up in a home that was somewhat antagonistic towards Christianity. Yes. Then you go to university. Did science play a part at all in your conversion to Christ and Christianity? It played perhaps the central role. Uh, when I was an undergraduate student, I embraced the evolutionary paradigm. I was an agnostic. I would have cheered on the likes of Richard Dawkins mm -hmm. and would have agreed with him. Uh, and yet, when I was a graduate student, it was discoveries like we're talking about now that gave me some very serious pause for thought. Mm -hmm. And so I ask, 
can the blind watchmaker mechanism produce this design? What made you ask those questions? Because the, 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 the way that biochemical systems operate is so sophisticated and ingenious and, 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 and elegant that it, it's not like the types of chemical systems that we cobble together in so a laboratory. So did you sit down sometime and say, how does this happen? I did. And so I literally began to study the origin of life question. Uh, in, in addition to all my other responsibilities... And the atheist has got no answer to this, has he? No. The origin of life. Within a, within no about idea. A, within about a month of serious study, I said there's no way that chemistry and physics on its own can produce these kind of systems, that there has to be a mind. And, and that, that then leads to two very important questions. Who is that creator, and do I relate to that creator, and if so, how? And I felt that the best answer to that was in the person of Christ and in the gospel itself. How did you hear about Christ and the gospel? Well, uh, it, it was a pastor who was going to, he married my wife and I, but as we were sitting down to talk about mm -hmm. what that marriage would look like, uh, he challenged me as a non-believer. He challenged me to get a copy of the Bible and read it for myself. He asked me, have you ever read the Bible? And my answer was no. I was 23 years old at the time. I never picked up the Bible. And so he said, how do you know it's not true? And so as I read through the, the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, I encountered the person of Christ in the pages of Scripture and had this overwhelming conviction that this indeed was true. And then later on, of course, I learned of all the very powerful evidence that we have for the reliability of the Old and the New Testament and mm -hmm. the powerful historical arguments we could made, make for Christ. But I would say I had a a religious experience engaging the Sermon on the Mount uh, as a as an, a, a non-believer, but somebody who was open to the gospel because I was comfortable with the idea that there was a creator. And when you gave your life to Christ, this makes some people feel um, a little uncomfortable. But we're talking about something which is real. It's as real as anything scientific. When you gave your life to Christ, what happened to you? How would you explain this? Well, I felt like I finally understood what my place was. <laughs> where you came from. Yeah, where I came from. Why what, you were here. <laughs> yeah, what, what was the, per the purpose and the meaning yeah. of my existence? Yeah. And to me, that meaning and purpose is in the relationship with our, with our Creator. And I, I also realized that I had this opportunity to know that creator who made the entire universe. I know, this, this is a mind-boggling concept. And, and, and I could know that creator through the person of Christ and his, his sacrifice on the cross so that I could be reconciled to the creator, so that my, my sins would be forgiven, mm -hmm. that which was keeping me yeah. from the creator. That, that is maybe even more mind-blowing than... Uh, of course than, it is. ...than thinking about yes, the elegant yes, design yes. That, that you see in biochemical that, systems. That, that the creator of the universe is interested in you yeah. and me. But, but I also came to realize that as a scientist, I didn't need to apologize for being a Christian because the, the worldview that Christianity represents mm -hmm is actually foundational for doing science itself. Yes, tell us about this. Well, I mean, to do science, we're making certain assumptions. What are these assumptions? Well, we, we assume that the universe is real, that it's worth studying. Yeah. Uh -huh. there's, there's value. There are laws. Yeah, there are laws. Uh -huh. There's a regularity to the universe. 
that the universe is intelligible, uh -huh. and that we have a, a mental apparatus that's trustworthy enough yeah. to study the universe. Well, those assumptions flow right out of the Christian worldview. Of if, course. If God is the creator and mm -hmm. has revealed himself through the creation, and, and, it, and the creation is good because the creator made it, well, it's worth studying. Creator's a, a God of order. There's a regularity to the universe because the creator instituted that. And as humans made in God's image, we have that ability to understand the universe. Is it not true, and this kept Darwin up at night, he said, if this mind has come from the very lowest and has happened by blind chance, how can I trust its processes? How can I believe in anything? So if you don't believe in God, how can you believe in laws by which we can interpret the universe? Yes. This is a question. Yeah. Because, I mean, the fact that there's even laws that dictate the way the universe operates yes. suggests there had to be a mind that generated those laws, that produced those laws, or yes. had to be a, a lawgiver. So it's not just that the fact that the universe has a beginning that points to a creator or the design. It's the fact that everything is operating according to a regularity. Where, does, where do those laws come from, if not from a, a creator? Is it not true that the great scientific research was made uh, made possible because of, of the Christian faith. Well, it's no accident that modern science with birth and flourished in Christian Europe. And in fact, the, the, the scientists who were instrumental in establishing the different disciplines of science were all men and women of God who were studying science as a way to gain deeper insight into the Creator. It was an, an act of worship for them. Uh, I want the television audience to think about this. The great atheist, Richard Dawkins, and every atheist says this, that man is the product of time, think about this, time plus matter plus chance. That's true, isn't it? Yes. That's, that's atheism. Well, if we're the product of time plus matter plus chance, then how can you believe in anything? How can you trust your senses? That, that's a, that's a, an incredibly powerful point, because if our mind is cobbled together by evolutionary processes, it, it functions just good enough for us to survive. There's no guarantee that what we think or perceive is true or reflects reality. And, and so the atheist, without being hard on him, because we love the atheist, but the atheist has to take an immense leap of faith. Yes. Uh, he's the person who's the most religious of all. Richard, Richard Dawkins is the most religious person in England and the most zealous in many, in many ways. I'm being a little facetious. Now, Darwin, the great Englishman, Charles Darwin, uh, thought up the idea of, of evolution. Yeah. Of course, he was very familiar with the, with the marvellous workings of the cell, wasn't he? I mean, he had great uh, microscopes. He knew everything that you, you know, didn't he? Actually, what's interesting is almost everything that we know about biology was discovered after Darwin's theory of evolution. Yes. You know, and so Darwin had no concept of the complexity of the cell. He thought it was just a blob, a blob of jelly. Yes. And, and, and so it's easy to think how a, a little blob of jelly might emerge on a war, in a warm little pond. Yes. But it's hard to envision how a, a molecular scale s system that is more complex than a city 
could emerge through. I, I think I think most blockchain. unbelievers don't think this through. I don't think they think through to the, uh, the logical conclusions. That here you've got a cell and you've got trillions of them inside you, and each cell is more complex than a big city like Los Angeles. And scientists today are taking some of their, those intricate workings of that cell and they're making super-duper computers. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, something else that's also interesting is there's an area uh, in, in technology called synthetic biology, and the goal there is to try to marry engineering and biology, and so scientists are trying to engineer new life forms, and as part of that, there are now scientists trying to to create cells in the laboratory from scratch. Make life? Yeah, these are yes. called protocells. Yes. And when you look at the work that's done, it's science at its very best, but what has been produced is laughable compared to the complexity of even the most simple cell. It's laughable? Yeah, I mean, these are, I, I, as a biochemist, I look at this work and I, I'm very impressed because you have the best minds in the world producing these systems, but they so are so far removed from what we see in the simplest life form that they're leaps and leaps and leaps away from ever accomplishing truly creating life in the lab. But what's interesting to me is that when you look at this work, you have the best minds in the world that are relying on centuries of scientific knowledge. Little creators. Yes, they are little creators. Yeah. And they are developing these very sophisticated strategies and laboratory schemes. And then you have highly trained scientists that are doing careful manipulations under highly controlled conditions in the lab. And, and they're using instrumentation that in and of itself is, is brilliantly designed. And, and, and they're producing a really crude facsimile of the cell. <laughs> but what this is showing you is how much intelligence it takes to turn chemicals into, into the simplest cell. Well, this is evidence for the creator, isn't it? Yes, and, and, and to me, this complements the idea that we see design in biochemical systems. Because what this is showing is that empirically, in the lab, we know intelligent agency is needed to make life. And then when we look at living systems, we see the telltale signature of design. So when you couple that together, I think you have a very powerful set of reasons to think that there really is a creator responsible for life. Now, we've talked about this, but I, I just want to go through this again. Tell me of the relationship between faith and evidence, as far as you're concerned. Well, to me, I, I think it's, um, it's wrong to think that, as Christians, our faith is a blind faith. Yes. Our faith is anything but blind. It's based on on evidence. There's scientific evidence for a creator, for the reliability of Scripture. There's archaeological evidence for the reliability of the Old and the New Testament. There is indeed. There's historical arguments we can make for the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Yes. You know, we all have experienced, I think our, the religious experiences that we have as Christians where we experience God is also evidence for why there must be a creator and why Christianity is true. If somebody is just uh, tuning in today, Doctor, and they're on the, on the verge of, of becoming a person of faith yeah. and becoming a Christian, what would you say to that person from your own experience? Because you've come from a, a situation of unbelief. Yeah. Well, well to me, it, I made this point, but I'll make it again. It, it's, it's beyond imagination to think that the Creator 
that brought everything into existence has made it possible for us to be in a relationship with him. And that what keeps us from that, that holy God is our sinful nature, and yet it's through the person of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross that we are reconciled to our creator. And in that relationship is meaning and purpose. It's our hope. It's our destiny. Mm. And, and so to me, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing to think of the love that this creator must have for so each and every person. So what's this creator like? What sort of person is he? Well, obviously a person of glory and majesty. And power. And power, <laughs> a holy creator. Yeah. Uh, but when I look at the record of nature, I see also beauty and elegance. Mm -hmm. I see crea a creativity. So I see this creator is also an artist yeah. where there's a flair. Mm. For, 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 I mean, who wouldn't want to know a, a, a creator like that? And a great designer. Yeah, and a great designer, but also ultimately a creator that is uh, gracious and merciful and loving mm. uh, and, and just simply desires for us to, to turn towards him. And, and he became a man. Yeah, that, again, uh, th this creator wants us to know him. And th this is what science is telling us, is that the creator wants us to know him, but he ultimately revealed himself most perfectly through the person of Christ. That's amazing to think that this creator became part of his creation so that we could enter into a relationship with him. And that's the greatest truth of all. We want to thank you today for joining the Carter Report. I want to thank you, Dr. Fuzz. Thank you. Uh, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you. Uh, please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358 in Australia. Write to the address on the screen. And we're going to put up the address of Reasons to Believe in Southern California. Write to Dr. Fuzz Rana at Reasons to Believe because there are reasons to believe. And the good news is the God who made the universe made you and he loves you. And so until next time, thank you for joining us and may God bless you. Hello friend, I'm John Carter. Behind me is the great city of Manila, the capital of the Philippines. Did you know this is quite amazing? There are more people living in this area than in New York City. And Christ died for these people. We came here, oh, a long time ago, back in 1984. What's that, 34, 35 years ago? And we came here with a team of young people and we came to the PICC. It is our intent to come here, hire the biggest hall that's available, the greatest outdoor stadium, whatever it takes. You've got more than 20 million souls out here. And I say it again, these are people for whom Christ died. I'm asking you to pray for the people of the Philippines. Please pray for the people here in Metro Manila. And please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at Terrigal at the address that is now showing on the screen. We're back in Manila and we're back with a message from God. That message is Christ died for you and Christ is coming 
again soon. Please support us. Write to me today, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, and also write to me at Terrigal in Australia. Thank you for your support, and God bless you. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.